Guest. I commend all of you this evening for uh, taking the time to begin your Christmas celebrating by gathering together with your church family to celebrate the true reason for the season. It is a wonderful thing when people are willing to do that. May we never fail in the midst of all of the cultural trappings that have attached to Christmas. May we never fail to always remember what it is really all about the coming of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it a wonderful thing uh, to know what Christmas really means? Uh, let's begin this evening by looking at the scriptures together. Uh, we're going to look first at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And then in a few minutes, we'll pick back up in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. I believe they'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, you can follow along as I read. Here's what we find. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, from this point forward is the real focus uh, of the message that I have this evening. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Amen. Now, just a few observations from our reading. I want you to imagine, you know, we read through this so quickly, we've heard it so many times, but I want you to just try to imagine the experience that these shepherds had that night. They're out in the fields, they're tending their flocks like they always do, and suddenly an angel appears to them. 
it's already a interesting story. This is one of the places in Scripture where we see that when an angel appears to someone, usually the first thing that the angel has to do is say, don't be afraid. Evidently, they don't look like, you know, little chubby babies. <laughs> don't be afraid. So after this angel calmed the shepherds down with don't be afraid, I'm here with good news. The angel then proceeds to share some very good news. They are told that on this very day in Bethlehem, their Savior has been born. And the angel leaves no ambiguity. They're told that this Savior is Christ, which means Messiah. And they're told that this Savior is the Lord, which is a way of saying this baby born in Bethlehem is God. The angel made this amazing announcement. The Savior born today is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And he happens to be God. Now the shepherds understood the first part of that announcement. But the second part of that announcement would confound people throughout the life of Jesus. And it has confounded people for the past 2,000 years. And yet it is true. Jesus is Messiah and Jesus is God. Notice that the shepherds believe the announcement of the angel because we're told that when the angel left them, they said, let's go and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they went to Bethlehem. They found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby lying in the manger. Verse 20 says, they found everything to be just as they had been told by the angel. They received the announcement. They went and verified the announcement. They found it all to be true, just as they had been told. They heard about Jesus, and then they went and they personally encountered Jesus. Now, what I really want to emphasize for us tonight is how they responded once they had heard about and then personally encountered the Savior born in Bethlehem. Look at verse 17 if you have your Bibles. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When they had seen Jesus, how did they respond? They spread the word about him. And what's the word that they spread? They spread the news they had been told about this child. What is the news that had been told him? They had been told by the angel that the birth of this child was good news for all people. They had been told that the child born in Bethlehem was the Savior. They had been told that the child born in Bethlehem was Christ the Messiah and that he was Lord. I imagine them reporting it something like this. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but this is how I imagine it. I imagine them saying, hey, the angel told us that this child is the promised Messiah. And then the angel said something about him being Lord. We're not really sure what that meant. 
But we know that he's the promised Messiah. They encountered Jesus, and then they told people about him and about what they knew about him from the angel. And then they did something else. Verse 20 tells us that after visiting Jesus and sharing the news that they had been told, they returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. So notice how they responded to encountering Jesus. They responded by spreading the word about him and by praising and glorifying God. That's how the shepherds responded. Now let's look at verses 36 and 38 through 38 and see how a woman named Anna responded to the birth of Jesus. This part of the story occurs uh, on the eighth day after Jesus was born when he's taken to the temple to be presented for circumcision. And here's what we find in verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that moment, she's coming up to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Notice what happens with Anna. It's just what happened with the shepherds. She personally encounters Jesus in the temple and notice how she responds. Verse 38, coming up to them, she gave thanks to God. She encounters Jesus and immediately she gives, gives thanks to God for him. Why? Because she's been waiting her entire life for the Messiah. She's been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And now the Savior, the Redeemer, is right in front of her. The Holy Spirit has borne witness in her spirit that this little baby, eight days old, is the Messiah, the Redeemer. And so the joy in her heart overflows into verbal expressions of thanks to God. Notice what else she does. Verse 38 again. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So what's Anna do? She sees Jesus. She encounters Jesus. She praises God. And then she starts telling people about Jesus. What was it she was telling people about this eight-day-old baby? I think that she was telling them the same thing that Simeon proclaimed when he encountered Jesus just a few verses earlier. In verses 29 through 32, here's what Simeon said about Jesus when, when he saw him for the first time. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now there's a lot in those verses, but we can narrow it down for tonight to the most central truth. What Anna told people about Jesus is this, this child is the salvation of all people. This is the Savior. We see the same reaction from Anna as we saw from the shepherds. From the earliest moments and days of Jesus' life, when people encountered Him, they praised God for Him, and then they spread the word about Him. He's good news for all people. He is the promised Messiah He is the Savior. And you see this all through the New Testament. People encounter Jesus and then they go and they tell others about Jesus. Sometimes Jesus even said, don't tell anybody what I've done for you. And people would run out and say, hey, I met this man named Jesus and he did this awesome thing for me. It's like people could not contain themselves from telling others about Jesus. This is the final message in our three-sermon Christmas series, What Jesus Wants This Christmas. And the simple idea behind this series is that in the midst of all of the gift-giving of the season, we often fail to give any thought to what Jesus might want from us on the day that we celebrate His birth. Now, as I said this past Sunday, I fully embrace and support all of the gift-giving of the season. My living room bears witness to the fact that I fully support these traditions. But as I've said many times throughout the lead up to the series and in this series, let us not forget that Christmas is not your birthday. Christmas is not my birthday. It's the day that we remember and celebrate the incarnation, the coming of the Son of God into the world to live among us. He came to experience all that we experience from our perspective. He, he lived life like we live life. But He did it better than us. <laughs> because He lived in sinless obedience to God. He then died a substitutionary death for our sins. And then He was raised to life victorious over sin and death so that each of us through faith in him can have eternal life that's what christmas is a celebration of we're celebrating his birth and so perhaps we should consider what he might want for christmas i'm here to remind us all tonight of something that we know but we need to be reminded of from time to time. And that is that Jesus wants from us what the shepherds gave him that first Christmas. He wants from us what Anna gave him that first Christmas. He wants our praise. And he wants our witness. He wants those of us 
who, like the shepherds and like Anna, have encountered him and know who he is. He wants us to go and tell others what we know to be true about him. He doesn't want us keeping this truth that we know about him a secret. He doesn't want us doing that. He doesn't want us to be discreet about him. He wants us to spread the word. He wants us to speak about him to all who need a savior. That's everyone. That's everyone. When we know who he is, and when we know what he's done for us, we're supposed to share that so that others can come to know who he is. And so that others can have him do for them what he has done for us. Save them. Give them hope. Give them joy. Give them peace. Give them eternal life. That's what Jesus wants from you and me this Christmas. He wants a commitment from us to be a witness for him. And we're not going to take the time tonight to go through all of the examples, but if you read through the New Testament, <coughs> something that becomes obvious is that people, excuse me, people became enthusiastic witnesses for Christ as they personally encountered him. They came into contact with him, and then they became enthusiastic witnesses. Now for the next couple of minutes, I want to assure you I am preaching to myself as much as to any of you. But I am nevertheless preaching to you as well, not just myself. I think for too many believers, we encountered Jesus at some point in the past. We got connected to him, and because we were connected to him, we got connected to his church. But somewhere along the line, we have stopped actively encountering him. And so our enthusiasm has cooled. We're not as directly experiencing the risen Savior as we did in the early days of our faith. And we often call that maturing. But it's really backsliding. Our initial excitement has waned. We're in the place now where we would never say this, but we take Jesus for granted. We're still thankful for the benefits of knowing him, but we don't actually spend a whole lot of time with him. We, we don't continue to encounter him in the same ways that fueled our initial enthusiasm about him. And if this is true for you, then Jesus wants something else this Christmas, he wants you to press in again to your relationship with him. He wants you to again commit yourself to spend more time with him, to spend more time in his word, to give yourself to the daily 
practice of his presence. I'm hopeful that maybe something has already happened with you this Christmas season, or if it hadn't previously happened, that maybe something has happened here tonight, maybe as the choir sang, or uh, maybe something as simple as, you know, seeing the passionate expression of worship on your neighbor's face as, as we sang tonight, or maybe something that we share in the scriptures tonight will uh, help you in this direction, or maybe it'll happen for you later. Uh, maybe it'll be sometime this week. But I hope that at some point in this Christmas season, for all of us who need this to be true, that something triggers in us a longing to experience, to encounter Jesus the way we did when we first came to faith. And that enthusiasm that we had for Him will be renewed. And if somewhere in this Christmas season you get that feeling, that, that, that quickening of the Spirit to say, I want to be as excited about Jesus as I was originally, then I encourage you, if that happens for you, act on it. Act on it. Get in the Word. Spend more time with Him. This goes to what Mark preached about in the first week of this series. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. So give him your heart. And here's the truth. When he truly has our hearts, when our hearts are given to him and they are filled up with him, here's what's going to happen. He's going to have our witness. I say this experiencing great personal conviction. But the reason that we so often do not witness for Christ is because our hearts are not filled up with Him. When our hearts are filled up, He's going to have our witness. Because witness comes from a heart that is overflowing with love and appreciation for Jesus. Jesus wants what the shepherds and Anna gave him. He wants your witness. There are two primary ways that we bear witness for Christ in the world. The first is mercy, and the second is evangelism. We could also say it this way, show and tell. Jesus wants your witness. He wants you to show people his love. That's mercy. Showing the love of God to people in very practical ways. What we did earlier tonight in receiving that offering for the Bed Brigade ministry. First time we've ever received an offering at a Christmas Eve service. That is an example of one of the ways that we bear witness for Christ. That money that will go to fund the bed brigade ministry that provides bed frames, mattresses, and bed sheets for 
people who are lacking those essential items in Licking County, that is an example of mercy. God placed this ministry on the heart of Tim Wallach. Many in our congregation have come around him to help with that ministry. We as a church are embracing that ministry. And I personally see this ministry as a key way that we as a church are going to give Christ our witness. We are going to show people the love of Jesus in this very practical way of providing them with a bed. When you gave to this ministry tonight, you participated in witnessing for Christ through the ministry of mercy. When Tim and his team builds the beds and delivers the beds, they're participating in witnessing for Christ through the ministry of mercy. It's a way that we give Jesus what he wants and deserves, our witness. Through these types of mercy ministries or individual acts of mercy that any of us can do for another human being, we bear witness for Christ. We show the love of Jesus. But I need to let you know tonight that there's an idea that has taken hold throughout much of the Christian church that sounds really good, but it is not true. The idea is expressed most succinctly in a simple statement that many Christians love. I love it because it relieves me of any awkward obligations. The idea, this statement is this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. This quote is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and the quote is used to make the claim that proclaiming the gospel by example is more virtuous and more effective than proclaiming it by voice. The idea behind it is often presented is that if we live as examples of the gospel, we won't have to verbally preach the gospel because people will see it and be drawn to it. Now, there are a few problems with this. One is that St. Francis never said this. So if you love that quote and you felt really proud of yourself quoting, well, St. Francis of Assisi said, which is, you know, the only thing any of us ever knew that he said, and yet he didn't say it. He never said it. It's not in any of his writings. His first biographer, writing a mere three years after his death, doesn't say anything about this quote. There are quotes from St. Francis that make the very important point that our deeds and our words need to match each other. There needs to be congruence between what we say and what we do. But Francis never said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And here's why no one who understands the gospel would say that. Because it is impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and the preaching of the gospel is an inherently verbal behavior. And if you don't believe me, then take the word of Scripture. Romans 10.14 says, How then will they call on whom they have not believed? 
Sorry, I can't read. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? By the way, in that context, you should not think of preaching as what I'm doing here tonight behind a pulpit in a church. You should think of it as any verbal sharing of the gospel with another person. It is absolutely true that we bear witness to Christ by showing his love to people in practical ways through ministries of mercy. That is true. But at some point, if someone is going to receive the truth about Christ and come to saving faith in Jesus, they have to be told about him. They have to hear the gospel. You realize that Christians aren't the only people who love folks in practical ways, right? A lot of folks do that. We're not the only people who try to meet the practical needs of those who are disadvantaged. And so we show the love of Christ through ministries of mercy. But if someone is going to come to faith in Jesus, they need to hear the truth about Jesus. And so he wants us to bear witness to to him by showing his love. But he also wants us to bear witness for him by telling people about him. We must both show and tell. And what is it that we're supposed to tell others about Jesus? It's the same thing that the shepherds told about Jesus. It's the same thing that Anna told others about Jesus. He's good news for all people. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the hope of mankind. He is the salvation of of God and he is God when we know and believe this it should it should produce praise in us and it should result in our becoming witnesses for Christ on this wonderful holiday when we celebrate the birth of our Savior I encourage all of us today to give him what he wants this Christmas. Let's give him our hearts, as Mark encouraged us to do. If you have not done that before, if you've never given Jesus Christ your heart, tonight is a great time to do it. All you have to do is come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He is who your friends that have been telling, about, telling you about him say that he is. All you have to do is come to that realization and simply invite him to become your Savior and Lord. And just say, Jesus, what I have heard is true about you and what I now believe is true about you, I ask that you apply all of that to my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. That's all you have to do. If you just do that from a sincere heart, you can walk out of this place tonight saved. Having passed from life or from death to life, you can be assured of eternal life with Jesus. So let's give him our hearts. This Christmas, let's also give him our obedience. 
John 14, 21, Jesus said something very sobering. He said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So let's give Jesus our obedience this Christmas. Obedience to his written word and obedience to his daily guidance and direction for our lives. And then finally, let's give him our witness. Let's show his love to the world through practical expressions of love, through ministries of mercy, and let's be people who are willing to tell the world about him. To encounter him in such a way that we lose our inhibitions and we're willing to tell other people about Jesus. That he's the Savior. He's, he's God's salvation. He is good news for the world. He's Lord and he's God. Let's stand.